Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. It would truly be a mission impossible to fully grasp the richness of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All that the Lord accomplished on our behalf and for us and all that we are invited into and all that has been dispensed to us and endowed to us because of the Lord's redemptive work, it's it's innumerable. It is unfathomable. But there is nevertheless one thing that I believe God wants us to get today. That is, today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, today, if you call on the name of the Lord, there are so many things that will take you a lifetime to understand and even a lifetime to experience and fully walk out. But there's one thing, there's one thing today that the cross of Christ has procured one thing today that the filling of the Spirit enables you to do. And it is simply to fellowship with God. To fellowship with God is not a subject matter necessarily that you study. And it's even awkward to teach on it because it is a rhythm of love between God and his redeemed child. This is where God interacts with you and you respond, you interact with God. This is where God pours into you his love. And by that inpouring, you pour back on God. And God gives to you that love and you give it back. And God gives to you attention and you give it back. And God knocks on the door of your heart and you open up. There is a constant interaction. This is not necessarily something we can teach on or study. There's not a lot of steps we can lay down regarding this. It is just something you will have to experience. In all of the letters of Paul, he does not give us all of these steps how to come into the fellowship with God. He just states that it's possible. In fact, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, in chapter 13, verse 14, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. It is very difficult to fully understand the grace of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's nigh impossible to fully comprehend the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What a mystery that is. But Paul says, nevertheless, Jesus' grace, God's love, and the Holy Spirit's interaction with you, companionship with you, His walking with you, it can be yours and it is with you. In today's 
speaking, I want to dare to discuss a few principles of fellowship with God. By no means are they all-inclusive nor exhaustive or deep. They're, again, rather elementary, but then again, I've come to love and appreciate the simple things in God, the base and elementary things in God. Today, I just want to encourage you with a little bit of a framework of fellowship. It's not necessarily action steps to fellowship with God, but here are just a few basic ideas, and they are rather on the simple side. I hope they touch you. I hope they minister something of courage to you to interact with God. May it inspire love in you and faith in you, and may it cause you to open up the door, open up the heart when God knocks on that heart of yours and invites you into sweet, intimate, interactive fellowship. Number one, basic principles on fellowship with God. Father God is a seeking God. Because it says there in John 4, the Father is seeking those who will worship Him. Worship is proskenua. It is the intention to kiss. Moving, going forward, being activated with the intention to be intimate, to interact. So Father God, in John 4, 23, the Father is seeking those who will worship Him. It's almost as though everything we've done up until John 4 was not worship, was ritual. We didn't really come forward with the intention of interaction. We came only forward with the intention of being forgiven, being uh, uh, atoned for, a, a ritual, a checklist, and God is not satisfied by that worship. So He is seeking us to fellowship. He is seeking us to interact with Him. He wants proper heart-to-heart, bosom-to-bosom interaction. So this does not imply that when God seeks, He lacks anything. He does, however, have a desire for man to enter into His heart's desire. His heart's desire is mutual fellowship. He wants you to move towards Him with the intention to kiss just as much as He has moved towards you with the intention to kiss. Now again, don't think sexuality. Think interaction. Think heart to heart. Think the transference of love. God has done that for you and He wants you to interact with Him in that capacity. So Father God is a seeking God. When you fellowship with God, you are satisfying God's heart desire. Even the least little remembrance of God is satisfying His heart's desire. He doesn't want you to, to sacrifice, go to temple. He just wants you to draw near with the intention to interact. Boom! This is what the Father is seeking. Can you do that? Of course you can. You can do this for God. Find your approach. Find your rhythm. In spirit, in faith. And kiss away. <laughs> Number two. Entering into God is what fellowship and worship 
is all about. While angelic beings are only before the throne of God in worship, God's desire is that man would be more than that. Not just before Him, but in Him. Beloved, you and I have a greater place in the universe than any angelic being. We get the picture in Isaiah, Ezekiel, a little bit, and then um, in uh, Revelation, of all the activity around the throne. We never read that the angelic beings are in God, but we read constantly in the New Testament that you and I's place is not just before God, so to speak. We're in God. That's what fellowship is. It's the in God walk, not just the before God walk. So this is what fellowship is, is entering into God. Number three, life is the means whereby God brings man into fellowship with himself. When man receives the regenerating life of God, we would say that he is born of the Spirit and he can therefore contact God through his newly enlivened Spirit that is now fully one with the Spirit of God. Apart from man receiving God's eternal life, he can never enter into God in reality. Apart from the indwelling of God's divine life, man is merely capable of being religious. Religion is merely an appearance of godliness apart from the reality of the power of God's indestructible life on the inside. That's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says there in Timothy 3, having a form of godliness, but there's not the divine life on the inside. So John again writes there in John, we declare to you the eternal life that you can have fellowship with us who have fellowship with the Father. This fellowship is an issue of life. If you and I do not have the life on the inside, we have no fellowship with God. We only have a religion. And religion can put you before God, like the angelic beings and kind of like worshipers many times. But what God wants from us is not people before the throne. He wants people in Him. And you need to read carefully in your New Testament Bible how many times it speaks about us being in Him versus before Him. Whew, that should be a lesson there. Life brings you into God. Number four, love is the issue of fellowship. God does not force or coerce you into Him. He simply invites you through His motive of unconditional love. Man experiences God's invitation to fellowship as a kind of a drawing, a kind of a wooing, a kind of an attraction. Even in the New Testament, there's this word worship, and it indicates an intention of giving a kiss on the basis of love, attraction, adoration, intimacy. The union that God invites man into is entirely a matter of pure, holy, 
and divine love. This motive of love becomes the strength of man's consecration unto God. God doesn't need you to sacrifice for Him, perform for Him. All He wants is an inner action of love. Love the Lord your God. For God so loved. We love because He first loved. Love is the issue of fellowship. Number five. Obedience is the demonstration that man is born of God and lives in God, fellowships with God, worships God, walks with God, and truly loves God. This is from your sketch there, your overview sketch. The more love is your experience, the more obedience will be your action. Jesus says it over and over. If you love me, you'll obey. Obedience is the proof of your love. But instead of copying God in obedience, what if love becomes the power of the obedience? So what is fellowship? Fellowship is just an interaction of love between you and God that will energize and provoke you to obedience. So whatever God asks of you, you're like, yes, Lord, no problem. Oh, go give myself away. Oh, go lay my life down. No problem. Go to another country. Oh, no problem. Love does that. And you obey by that love. Nothing becomes impossible for you because you just have a big old yes because of love. It's like when a man and a woman gets married. You make this vow to that woman and she really makes a vow to you. And hey, wherever you go, I'm going. No problem. We're going to suffer together. We're going to be healed together. We're going to be rich together. We're going to be poor together. It's okay. As long as I'm with you, no problem. I'll go where you go. I'll obey what, where, where, where you go. No problem. That's what love does between you and God. You just obey, not by rigid determination, but by the power of an indwelling life that is translated love into you. Awesome, huh? Number six. This is my favorite. Walking with God, not visiting God, is the lifestyle of the children of God. When God walked about in the cool of the day, remember there in Genesis, the man and the woman were hiding from God and He came walking in the cool of the day? You can go read that in Genesis 3. It's because God didn't know where they were, right? It was not because God was lost, but because He modeled for man what His heart's desire was all about. Walking with Him in the cool of the day. The Lord came walking in the cool of the day. It was to model that God is a walking God. And those who live in Him and by Him, they will be walking with Him. That is, God is an interacting God. He modeled what his heart's desire was all about. So I say, Enoch truly caught God's heart's desire when he journeyed and walked with God for 300 years. Abraham was called the friend of God, not because he visited God or performed a religious service to God, but simply because Abraham walked with God. 
So walking with God has become the mandate for every person that interacts with God. He wants you to walk with God. We call that fellowship. God wants to walk with people. Not because he needs the exercise. God's walking is a prophetic invitation. We're on a journey of interaction together. Yeah? Now number seven. Mm, I love this one too. Sonship becomes the identity and the experience of those who through the new birth enter into a lifestyle of fellowship with God. As sons of God, oneness with God secures us and causes us to have boldness and confidence in God. God's children trust Him implicitly. And as sons, we are led of God's Spirit. We enjoy God's person. We are also strengthened with divine energy and endurance. Sons live in God, who is their inheritance. I would love for you to look up the scriptures behind every sentence here in due time. I'm just reading it to get a little bit of an overview of what fellowship is all about. What worship, what walking with God, communing with God, conversing with God is all about. Now, number eight was a little tricky to write down. <laughs> uh, did you catch I'm trying to write the word fellowship out? Yeah. Must I point out everything? <laughs> so this one's a little tricky to, 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 to write. So uh, heart, God's heart is what is laid hold of in fellowship. To know God's methods and God's ways is one thing, but to know God's heart is altogether another thing. When it is hard to figure out God's mind in our circumstances and in our predicaments, knowing God's heart will strengthen you in the process and cause you to trust God rather than getting offended at God. The heart of God is transferred into God's children through a lifestyle of fellowship. This is what we're indicating here on your sketch. is that when you fellowship with God, you touch His heart, not primarily His mind, God will bring His mind to you when He sees fit. And until He does, He doesn't see fit. Is everybody with me? So go ahead and settle that. God will show you the way when it's time to. Until then, hey, just take a hold of His heart. He wants you to touch His heart so that you are interacting with Him just in a way of trust, a way of obedience, a way of faith, a way of love. That interaction is not an interaction of reason and the dots making sense, it's connecting, but it's just an interaction of, I know that God's going to take care of me. It's an interaction of confidence, uh, a faith, a boldness. I'm going to obey. This doesn't make sense, but I'm going to obey. And then you'll see, when you are perfected in God's heart, His mind's going to come quite spontaneously. 
And is it not true that God will have you walk out in obedience so many things for only years later to show you his mind in the whole situation? It's the same with Joseph. The man is sold into slavery, of course rejected by his brothers, and he's stuck there in no man's land in Egypt and forgotten. But he had God's heart. It didn't make sense. But in due time, when a famine came, <coughs> excuse me, and his family had to migrate down to Egypt for supply, at that time, God had his man ready. A couple of dreams, a couple of visions, boom, turn the table, turn the tide, and he raised Joseph up. And that was the light to understand the past 17 years. So, you'll see that for many of us, God's going to have you in a predicament, in a tough situation. It's just not going to make sense. And it's not supposed to because the interaction with God is not a rational interaction right now. It's not an, an, an interaction of the dots connecting. It's not an interaction of argument and reason and analytics. It's an interaction of trust. Is that not what we do when we get married? When you say your vows one day, you really are saying... I don't have a clue where we're going, but I trust you. 20 years later, we're like, what have we done? You know, listen to me, and I, I say this. Love makes you blind. Here's my uh, whole dating talk right here. We, we say that love makes you blind, right? And I think it's a God thing. I think it's a divine thing. See, when you fall in love with a girl, guys, you become totally weird, unreasonable, beside yourself. You become blind. Girls, you totally become blind. I think it's a God thing. Because when we fall in like, in attraction, in infatuation, we fall in love. If I knew everything about you, I'll never yoke myself to you. Never. If I knew what would lay ahead for the two of us, I'll never choose you. That's why love makes you blind. Because you're just entrusting your heart to that person. That person entrusts the heart. And you say yes, but you don't have a clue what's coming. Yeah? Only later to wake up and like, what have I done? <laughs> then comes the understanding. But I think it's so beautiful. Who of you would really walk with God if you knew all that He had in store for you? We would not choose Him. Because maybe some of us are going to like give our own life over there. If I knew the whole journey in front of me, I would not choose God like I would not choose you perhaps. If you know all my hiccups and my weaknesses, you'll never choose me. So when you get married, you really are dumb. <laughs> but it's a divine dumbness. I think it's holy. I really think it is of God. Because a year or two later, every couple, we all say, gosh, I don't know this was you. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's just nothing like me. You did not know that two years ago. And I think it's intentionally by divine design. And it's the same with God. You and I just want the puzzle pieces to make sense and the cookie crumbs to add up 
And we just want it to be a trajectory of insight and knowledge and understanding. And, and I get it and it makes sense. First things first, heart to heart. I trust you, God, but I don't know you're going to take me to America. I don't know I'm going to never see my family again. I don't know the price I'm going to pay. But you know what? Love makes you confident, secure, trusting. We're going to figure out the details later. Yeah? That's what fellow, you need, before God gives you a piece of his mind, you need to get the wholeness of his heart. And by the way, I say that intentionally. You'll never get the full mind of God. You'll only get a piece of His mind. You'll never know all that God knows. There's a lot He's going to keep from you. And the little bit of revelation you're going to get and insight you're going to get is just enough to show you, to comfort you that, hey, I've been with you in a very divine way all the way. But you're not going to know everything. Get over it. And stop having an interaction with God where you just, I need your mind, I need your mind. It's coming. But the one thing you can give first is fellowship. Amen. Is this communicating? Yes. Oh, I hope it helps. So God just wants you to touch His heart first. Number nine, intimacy. Of course, it's an issue of fellowship. And the way I say intimacy is into me, you see. You see? See? Fellowship not only opens God's heart to His children, but His children's heart towards Him. Through fellowship with God, your inner heart, your inner attitude, your inner motive, your vision, your ambition, before God gets exposed and revealed, knowing God is to become known yourself. You'll see that the more you fellowship with God, the more revelation will come. And you'll become known before God in many, many ways. And it's in fellowship that God gets to see into you. And you get to see into Him. And then lastly, this was difficult to write also, to keep with the flow of making sense. <laughs> Presence, as in God's presence, realized and experienced, is what fellowship is all about. Amen. To enjoy God's person and the presence, just His company. So through fellowship in this one spirit, God becomes your reality. And as children, we cannot properly explain and define God but we can definitely experience God. So this is something that should become near to us like it was to Brother Lawrence, the presence of God. Now, I know what you think of the presence of God. Hmm. Dazzle me. Impress me. Make no mistake, there's that part of God too. I mean, opening up the Red Sea is quite impressive. A glory cloud, quite impressive. Pillar of fire leading a group of people, very impressive. Bread falling out of the sky, what is this? The Lord is going to impress you. 
for him who has eyes to see, no doubt about it. But the Lord's presence is not just the earthquake shaking, the fire blazing, consuming, the whirlwind tornado just exploding. The presence of God is also just a familiar, enjoyable company of a person in whose presence you can be and there's not always talking. There's sometimes just this enjoyment of you here and you don't have to prove yourself, explain yourself. I just enjoy your company. There was a man in the Bible who encountered God in a whirlwind. His name was? Come on, Bible students. Job. God showed up in a tornado. That's pretty impressive. Wow, what an interaction. A tornado. And tornadoes are going to come and go in your life. God's going to show up like that for sure. Um, There was another uh, person in the Bible. Um, His name was Moses. In Exodus, when Moses comes down, Exodus uh, 19 and 20, when he comes down and he brings the law, the whole mountain started shaking. This was God's presence. Of course, the mountain was fully on fire, trumpets blasting. It was wild. We treat that subject in, in, uh, in other topics at Legacy, but the point is God showed up in an earthquake, just shook everything. People just started running like, oh no, Moses, what are we doing? God showed up in an earthquake. And for many of us, you want God to show up in such a strong, powerful way. Show yourself off. He will. There's another man in the Bible that had an encounter with God through fire. His name was? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Bible. This, this is uh, something that we Christians read um, from Genesis to maps. And, and we read it to get a kind of like an idea of what God is capable of. It's, it's in there, okay? There's this man called Elijah, Eliyahu. And uh, he's got 450 of the prophets of, of Satan, the prophets of Baal, and they're calling on Baal, and Elijah's calling on, on, on God, and there was a little show-off. You remember the story? Uh, 1 Kings 19, and um, God answers with fire. <laughs> Everybody dies. Of course, Elijah chops off their head, but God answered the sacrifice with fire. So you see in Job that he showed up in a whirlwind. Moses, he showed up in an earthquake. Elijah showed up with fire coming down out of heaven. Then, of course, Elijah heard that uh, Jezebel wants to uh, have a conversation with him, and he runs. He runs to Mount Sinai. And it says, there at Mount Sinai, God did not speak to him through a whirlwind like he did to Job. Or an earthquake. God's presence didn't come to him like an earthquake like it did with Moses. Neither did it come like fire just a few days earlier. It came in a... Still, small, voice a whisper, accurate translation there. So what is God's presence? I don't know, I don't have a definition for it. And one time it's a whirlwind, another time it's an earthquake, then it's a glory cloud, then it's signs and wonders. I don't know. You find that and you discover that rhythm, but it could also be just as simple as... You're driving in the car and 
you and God keep company. He doesn't show off. He doesn't show up. He just is. Is there room in your theology for that?